The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Hello and welcome to Fearless Fabulous You. I am your host, Melanie Young, and I am so glad you're joining me uh, on the Women for Women Network. You can hear all my shows on about 30 podcast channels after this live airing. And I appreciate your time. Follow me at Melanie Fabulous and check out what I do. Um, what I do on this show is I talk to women uh, about how they can live inspired empowered lives and I profile interesting women on what they're doing that might be of interest to you whether it's in business in life travel exploring and taking better care of yourself so this is the month of May it's mental health awareness month um, but I think every day is mental health awareness um, not just a month um, we all need to take a reality check on our mental health these days because there's so much bad news out there. Um, and we got to remember that we have to find the good outside of the bad. Uh, I'm trying to do that right now with a parent who, a mother who just watches TV all day and I keep telling her to turn it off <laughs> and she, maybe she feel better about things. Um, I've learned to do that and I advise all of you turn off the news if it's upsetting you watch it and then stop watching it nonstop this also applies to a topic we're going to talk about today vis-a-vis uh, -vis social media and we're going to talk about perfection and imperfection and the challenges we're all facing because we all seem to be striving for something that's not real uh, we all need to take an unreality check versus a reality check and talking to me about this is Dr. Allison Nirenberg. She's a psychologist and an author of No Perfect Love, Shattering the Illusions of Flawless Relationships, about how perfectionism and narcissism are destroying our relationships with our spouses, significant others, children, friends, and even work. I looked up the word narcissist. It's been thrown around a lot in the past number of years. And the definition I read was a self-absorption, almost an erotic self-absorption. If you knew mythology, Narcissus was a, or Narcissus, it was a person who fell in love with his image in the water to the point, I think he fell in and drowned. Okay. Um, Narcissus has been equated with bloated egos, uh, self-absorption, again, as I say. Uh, it's thrown around a lot. But I think it's getting worse now because of the bar being raised in social media. I see a lot of self-absorbed people in social media. I'm not sure why they're doing what they're doing, um, what their reason detritus for doing it, but it's unhealthy. And so we're going to talk about how to 
deal with that in life if you're finding yourself a little too obsessed with yourself. And also if you have a loved one like that. So Dr. Allison Nierberg, welcome to Fearless Fabulous You. I am so glad to be here. Thank you so much, Melanie. So I just gave the definition. I looked up a narcissist, but from your practice, which you do a lot of relationship work, but also I was fascinated. You do a lot of work with sports celebrities, even though you're self-confessed, not a sports fan, although you're quite athletic uh, from what (laughs) I I see. You like to work out. So I admire you for that. How do you define narcissists? So I define narcissists as having a grandiose sense of self-importance. These are people who think they're, they need to be praised. They need a constant need for admiration, compliments from others. They want to be seen. Uh, they also have a lack of empathy for others. So it's all about them, not about your needs, about their needs. And this sense of entitlement, like the rules don't apply to me. Don't you see a lot of people being that way now? I do. I think our culture really feeds narcissism. It's all about me. It's all about how great are your kids uh, bearing? How great is your relationship? Um, notice me, notice me. I mean, you know, you've got helicopter parents. Yeah. I, can't, I don't even know how that term came up, but helicopter people who expect <laughs> their kids to be perfect. And, yeah. you know, nobody's born. In many ways, we're born perfect because we're born untouched. We just come into the world. But inevitably we're not perfect. We all have flaws, but the pressure to be the best in the class, excel in sports, live up to the expectations of the parents. Let's just talk about parenting really puts a lot of pressure on the kid. And that ends up translating into adult issues, right? Yes. Melly, it's funny. I I heard another term for it. Instead of just helicopter parenting, now they call them, um, they call them lawnmower parents. They will knock anything out of the way they will mow anybody over who's blocking their kids success and it's it's funny it's just um so often parents are looking at their kids as a narcissistic extension of themselves so it's not enough if your kid's in a club he now needs to be the president of the club he can't just play soccer he has on the soccer team he has to play travel soccer and it's, it's one parent kind of competitive with another parent about how great and accomplished their kids are to either get into colleges or to get the attention of other people. So really, it's all about the parents' ego, not the kids. You got it. I mean, I, I know parents who weren't athletic, but who want to get the accolades from having their son be the star lacrosse player. And, you know, it, to get a scholarship is the, the, the gold star that, hey, I've I've succeeded as a parent. You know, it's sad. You know, I, I read somebody posted um, on social media uh, that a woman is charging $1,200 an hour in New York to help um, uh, young teenagers groom themselves for college. It's like, it's, a, it's, it's kind of sad that you're going to really go is. that. Yeah, it really is. And it, it, and it's a lot of pressure on the kid. How does that work? You know, I'm, I remember when I was a little girl, I mean, I didn't have a lot of pressure, but I had a lot of pressure to have get straight A's. You know, you got to have straight A's. You got to be this. Yeah. And, you know, you may not be an A student. In fact, I know when I got to college, I didn't, I was not no longer an A student. I was done. Yeah. I was done trying yeah. to prove myself to my parents. I want to just be yeah. me. How does, how does that impact 
the child as that child grows into an adult in terms of the pressure that person individual puts on his or herself as an adult. Melanie, we're seeing so many kids under pressure. Suicide rates have never been higher. Depression rates have never been higher for our kids, for our teenagers, for college students. There's, there's just this need to perform. And, you know, we need to start changing as a culture and really look at the character of our kids as opposed to their accomplishments. Do you think that since, I forgot how long we've been in social media, but too long. Do you think that the increased rates in depression and mental health issues and and suicide are a result of social media, the, the pressure to be on social media and comparing yourselves to everybody else? Oh, you got it. Uh, as Even as a pretty well-adjusted adult, I still feel it. If you're not invited to something and you see all these other people seeming to have this great vacation or a great time at a party that you weren't included in. And I just think about it for, for teenagers and for teenage girls in particular, who, uh, you know, being popular, being included is everything. So it's it's hard. And the studies have shown that People who spent the most time on social media were almost three times as lonely and depressed as people who spent less time on social media. Wow. So you, you get that FOMO, that fear of missing out. I've had FOMO. I know what it's like. It's awful. And, and, and you, it, it really kind of does make you absorbed on what you're missing versus what you're experiencing. And that's like so wrong. I mean, you know, we all have wonderful experiences that we can, we have come to us or we can create. So why are you busy lamenting that you're not elsewhere Yeah, doing somebody else's experience? Right. I remember when Facebook first came out, I, I was home. I had a sick kid who was throwing up and I was wearing, I hadn't had a shower in like two days because I have just taken care of a sick child and I, Facebook had just come out and I remember going on and seeing a friend from college and he was riding on a, he was in Africa riding on an elephant. And I was like, okay, at least one of our lives is going well. <laughs> and I just remember that feeling of just, you know, comparing myself being like, wow, he's in an exotic protocol. And here I am, you know, um, my kid has thrown up three times today. I, I haven't left the house. I, it just, you know, it, you see somebody else's life who looks so much more exciting and glamorous. I want to address a term that comes up a lot on my feed. I, I, I have a life that I created for myself. It was a choice. I made some sacrifices. Mm -hmm. I, I sold my house. I don't have a house. Mm -hmm. Okay. And some, some people yeah. may think I'm homeless. I'm houseless. I made a choice to sell my house and with my husband live on the road. Uh, I gave up the comforts of home for the comforts for the, for the adventure of life. It is my mm -hmm. choice, my way. Um, a lot of people put the, say I'm jealous. I'm so jealous. Yeah. You know, uh -huh. jealous is a very powerful word and a powerful emotion. Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about that. And maybe maybe also say what you should be saying instead of jealous when you're talking to your friends, because it's almost it's, it's a very it's negative, actually. Well, you know what? There's actually some good parts about envy and, and, and jealousy. If you think about it growing up, if you have a brother who can ride a bike. It may be positive that you want to learn how to ride a bike. You see it as, okay, I want what he has. How can I get what he has? How can I emulate him? And, and there's, there's some good parts to it. Jealousy is not all bad in a sense. 
I want to learn what this person has and to get what they have and look at it as encouragement. It becomes negative when it takes over and you become obsessed with somebody else's life or what the grass is always greener, the way somebody else seems to be living. I always just say I'm very happy for you and what you've chosen to do. I never use the word jealous. I may feel it sometimes. I feel, (laughs) you know, but I try to move that. That is a a negative energy for me. So I always say I'm very happy for you. And if I start getting a little annoyed about that person that's posting about here I am and I'm like, why wasn't I invited? I turn, I turn them off. I actually just stop following them because I don't need to follow people that are making me feel agitated. And I, and I'm saying that for anyone listening, if, if, if you're following people and they're making you feel more agitated and anxious about your own life, stop following them. Nobody's, nobody's forcing you to follow somebody. Even for you, Melanie, if somebody hears your lifestyle and says, wow, boy, she's doing what I wish I had the guts to do. This Mm -hmm. is really incredible. Let me talk to her. Let me see how she did that. How did she let go of the responsibilities of having a house? And was she nervous? And like looking at it as something that they want to emulate or that they hope to. Well, that's a positive energy. That's a positive response. Yeah. So how can I, you know, so if you're following someone because you want to learn how they did it and you admire them, the big difference, yes. if you admire yes. what they're doing and you want to learn more because it inspires you, that is good. But if it makes you angry and feel like you're missing out, or as I said, agitated and irritated, yeah. then it's not good. So it all depends on your response. There's no right or wrong answer other than how you feel, right? And, and the way I look at it is, having gratitude, gratitude for what yes. we have. And Let's you know, you want to stretch. Yeah. yeah. Gratitude is so important because it's, it's very easy for us, especially in this culture where there's social media and you see what everybody else seems to have. And the envy piece that you're talking about can come out, but looking at it and looking at gratitude and looking at the fact, all you have to do is walk into a hospital and realize you can walk out exactly. and realize how lucky you are walk into a supermarket and realize, wow, I can buy whatever I want to eat where people in other countries and even people in our own country don't have that luxury. Exactly. It's appreciating what you have as opposed to that, that envy of looking at other people's lifestyles. I painted my nails blue and yellow so that every time I look at my hands, I remind myself that things are really bad in the Ukraine and I should be grateful every day for what I have right here. Just a constant reminder, just to, you know, look at my hands and go, stop lamenting. I want to talk, you talked about something in your book. It was kind of deep into the book, but I found it really interesting. I think it was either, and you can correct me, it was either dogs or babies or both that love when you walk, when when you, when you walk in the room, they just, they brighten up because they want to see your face, right? Yes. Yes. What I I talked about was, yes, I talked about parenting. And so, so often as parents, we're not living in the moment. We're worrying about the next commitment we have to get to or worrying about work or worrying about our kids being okay. So when our kids walk into the room, we're thinking, oh, let me fix his his shirt. His collar doesn't look right. Or let me straighten up her hair. Let me fix her hair. It's a mess. And we're kind of touching them and trying to fix them as opposed to taking in their presence and letting our face light up, letting our eyes sparkle when they walk into the room, because that's all kids want. They want to know that their parents' eyes are sparkling. 
They want to know that you're happy that they're there and that you don't want to fix them, that you think they're great just being who they are. But so often as parents, we're living in, not living in the here and now, we're living in the future or living in the past or not as present as we can be. And I used as my analogy, I'm sitting, if you, I wish you could see me, but I'm sitting right on the sofa next to my dog. I'm home today and I have this great white fluffy dog who mm. every time I walk in the house, just lights up. She's right. so happy that I'm there. I said, we can all learn to, from our dogs. Well, you know, let's just t- take that into relationships. You know, I would love it if, wouldn't we all love it if our significant others lit up and yes. looked at us when we walked in the room? And what we, you, what you have said is some of the biggest struggles in relationships today or that people are not feeling seen or valued by the partners because they don't feel like their partners are in the present with them. Why don't we give some examples of that and what we can do to make that better? Because that's look sure. up. Yes, Millie. What that can look like for, for my patients, I, I hear it all the time when people are complaining and they're saying, you know, I walked into the room and he didn't even look up from the game. He didn't mm-hmm. even notice I was in the room or it's the couple that goes out to dinner and neither of them are even talking to each other. They're too busy looking on their phones and they're just scrolling instead of talking and communicating or it's the mother who's doesn't even notice when her kids get off the bus and comes and come into the house. She's too busy on the computer. People who aren't being present in their lives because they're either living in the past or the future or what the next thing they need to do is. And it's so simple. It's just look up and smile and sparkle and, and look at that person. I remember um, we were in a restaurant, believe it or not, in Peru, in Cusco, and there was a lovely Asian couple, uh, a couple of tables down and the woman was beautiful. She was a beautiful woman alone because the man across from her was on his phone the entire time. Oh, yeah. And I actually That's went over exactly there it. and I said, you're such a beautiful woman. I wish I could sit down and talk to you since the person across from you is not. I literally <laughs> did that perfect stranger, but I was so annoyed wow. by it. I see that a yeah. lot where couples are not talking at a table to me, a dinner and a meal is a great time to have a great conversation. And yet people are on the phone. We see kids scrolling on their computer at family gatherings. I mean, we, at some point we have to put the device away and focus on the people around the table and your analogy of, you know, he, he doesn't look up when I walk in the room, she's standing in front of me and looking past me. That's another one when you're in yes. events yes. and people look past you to the next person. Yes. It's, it's, it's insulting. Yes, it is. I, you a know, better I way a to deal with that, that, just so I, you know, is yeah, because I ahead. worked in public relations. So um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I felt myself doing that a few times because in public relations, you're always looking yeah. beyond the person to see who's coming in the room. So I learned mm-hmm. to correct myself. And so one way to do that is when, you know, kind of look at that person, give them your entire attention at a cocktail party or whatever, and then say, I really have enjoyed speaking with you. I don't want to monopolize or take too much of your time when there's so many people here for you to meet. Uh, thank you very much. And I hope to talk to you again. And then you, that's how you end the conversation and move on before you, you know, look over a shoulder and, and not be present. Melanie, it reminds me of a friend of mine that used to do that constantly, and she worked in a, in a job similar to public relations, but she wouldn't look past me. And mm-hmm. I remember saying something to her about it at a party because I was a little insulted. Right. And she said, oh, she goes, Allison, I, I do that. That's, that's my ADD. I can't, I have a hard time focusing. 
And once she told me that, uh, you know, attention deficit disorder, it made all the difference in the world. I didn't take it personally. This isn't about her looking for somebody better. For her, she had a hard time focusing. And another friend had complained to her, me about her that, hey, I don't feel like she's focused, listening to me. And I, once I knew what, what the cause was, I didn't personalize it as much. But it can hurt your feelings. Mm-hmm. And can. it makes you feel less important. And I, and I think so many people in our culture right now are not feeling that we matter just the way we are. And I, in a way to change this, to actually be more present, you don't have to meditate. It's not about taking deep breaths. It's about saying, all right, I'm going to be conscious right now. I'm going to be present. It's a conscious decision. I'm going to be there. I'm going to let my eyes sparkle when my husband walks in the room. I'm going to give him my attention. I'm going to give him my focus. I'm going to be here for this interaction. Exactly. And it's, it's such a, yeah, I once read Suze Orman. Uh, I was reading an article with her. I adore her. And she said mm-hmm. when she's on an assignment and she's getting on that plane to go to do her talk, that's all she thinks about. She said, I get in the moment and I focus, I start my focus then, not when I walk in the room. And I really think hard about who I'm speaking to. And I, it resonated with me. So like when I do my shows now, I think long and hard about who I'm going to be speaking with. I don't just, you know, pick it up and start rambling on. I give it thought. And I think if we all took a little more time to think about the person they're ta- you're talking to and with and listening, it, it's a better dynamic. Well, I'll tell you from my perspective with you, Melanie, even when we spoke for a moment before the show and you said, oh, I really liked reading your book. I had it like a deep, took a deep breath because I've done interviews where the person didn't read my book, just yeah. heard the title and didn't, you know, I wanted to, me to talk about it, but it feels so much better that somebody cares and actually read the book and oh, yeah. knows what we're talking about and is going to be present. I think it's so important. I, I do this. I, I've been in the same yeah. boat with my book too. And sometimes you, you know, because they ask the stupidest questions. I want to bring up, <laughs> I think it's funny that, I mean, you, I, you, you're quite the, you're, you're athletic, you bike, right? You, you, you're, yeah. you, um, but you're not a sports fan, but you have sports, fairly big name. I think it started with the hockey league celebrities, big yes. sports people yes. who have their own unique problems. And I was taken yes. by that. And one of the things, and you talked about one who was just in relationship hell to the point where he brought his new woman to meet you yes. kind of to, to check her out because he'd made so many expensive uh, financially and emotionally mistakes. And a lot of it I learned is that these, these young sports people don't really have a childhood because the, again, the pressure to excel and get, go, go, um, pro they lose that youth. So talk to me about your experiences there. Cause it can, it, it, you don't have to be a celebrity to have these same experiences. You got it. It's it's funny for me because first of all, I grew up in a family where my dad was a diehard Eagles fan. I, I lived in Philadelphia, and he was like one of these guys that would scream at the TV. I even dented the wall from a drink once about it. So I just would leave the room. I I wasn't watching, and my, I have a husband who's a diehard uh, sports fan, and my son really cares a lot about basketball and sports, and so. The fact that I'm not, it just drives them all crazy. But um, it was really funny because 
turns out I got a phone call from the NHL, I guess it was about 15 years ago, and they were referring me a, a patient, and I didn't even know his name. And this was somebody very famous, and uh, he had gone through, from therapist to therapist and had a lot of anger, and people were very intimidated by him. And to me, he was just another person suffering in his relationship, in his marriage, wanting to be a better man. And I wasn't impressed because I didn't even know the name, but I, I really connected with him and worked with him for a couple of years. And during that time, he recommended me to a lot of his teammates and it then came to other sports teams. And I got involved with the NBA and the national soccer league. And, um, you know, the perfectionism in that field is that every time you make a mistake, even in a practice, it, it becomes documented. It becomes talked about by the fans. It's all over Twitter or, you know, social media and, you know, anything that goes wrong in your personal life becomes public news. Plus you look at the fact that these athletes didn't really have a childhood because from the time that they were growing up and they were recognized as excellent athletes, they had to leave their homes. They had to go train with other coaches and with spending very little time going to the prom or going to school events. They really became little adults and money makers for their family and didn't really have that adolescence that we all tend to have. Yeah. You don't think about that. Cause all you, and, and then they're in the limelight and they, yeah. they're pressure to excel. I can't even imagine what it'd be like to be a sports celebrity and, and like you screwed up a game, you know, and like, oh my yeah. God. I mean, and next thing you're not going to be traded. Am I going to lose the boot? I mean, it's, it's a precarious thing. And then you have all this money and you don't know what to do with it. And everybody wants you for the money. And, you know, you, know, you talked the about the, cl too. the clingy girlfriends who are boyfriends, yes. you know, because it's not just yes. women. Um, yes. And you, you don't know what's real or not, what's not. Um, let's talk about narcissism and in a relationship, what do you do if you have, um, a significant other who is just incredibly self-absorbed to the point where they put their interests completely first and you feel uh, marginalized? It's really hard. And, and I look at narcissism as on a continuum. You know, we all have a little bit of it, but some people may have more. And if it's, if it's to the point that you're not even feeling seen or heard, some, some narcissists can change, but it, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of setting boundaries and talking to the person and saying, hey, this is not acceptable. Whether it's saying, hey, listen, when we go out, I need a time, to, I need a chance to talk to and enter into the conversation, or I don't appreciate it when you speak to me in that tone of voice. It hurts. So it's kind of teaching a person how to treat us. Narcissists, are they listening? Some are, some aren't. It depends, you know, what the degree of narcissism is. It's, do they have empathy for you? And will they listen to you? Or, or are they just going to bully and, and blame you? Is there any room for the person to move? And I, I think the, the, one of the important things is really setting boundaries and saying, okay, listen, if we're having dinner, let's put our phones down. Or, I, you know, I, I need some time too, or I don't appreciate when you're, when you're angry with me and you're calling me names, that's unacceptable. Really setting what you, rules that you'll, you need to adhere to, what, what you need to be, feel safe in your relationship. 
And if somebody has extreme narcissism, no, you probably can't be in a relationship with that person. There's probably very little room. This is hard sometimes because narcissists can be very attractive and draw you in. So, Dr. Nirenberg, we have been talking about narcissism and we've defined it. And a challenge is that they tend to draw you in and they're very difficult to, you know, in a relationship. How would you, we talked about identifying a narcissist. If you're in a relationship with someone that you love who is um, exhibiting narcissist behavior, what are some ways that you would recommend dealing with that individual to maintain a level of trust and love and also sanity for yourself? Yes, great question. Um, the problem is there's such a different range of narcissists. So for some, it's like on a continuum. Uh, if you're dealing with a narcissist, the best thing you can do is set boundaries. And if somebody has extreme narcissism, it's going to be really hard. So what what that looks like is it's saying, hey, don't speak to me in that tone of voice. Or don't call me after 10 o'clock at night or I, I need to get my sleep or really protecting your time, protecting your energy and setting boundaries and limits on what you'll do and what you won't do. At what point is that it, that you cross the border into abuse? <laughs> yeah. The, one of the hallmarks of narcissism is that there's a lack of empathy for you. So it can feel abusive. You can t tell that it's abusive because you'll listen to your gut. And if you feel uncomfortable, usually you feel it physically, you feel it tightness in your chest. You're feeling that you're being disrespected. And it's really important to speak up for yourself and to set limits and boundaries on, on what you'll expect in your life, what you, is okay and what isn't okay. And at sometimes it may be that you can't be in a relationship with somebody who doesn't respect your own um, boundaries and limits. You know, I agree. I mean, I think everybody needs to set boundaries in their life, no matter what. It's it's a sign of self-care, which I'm a big believer in putting first, even though it appears selfish to people, but it's not. It is protecting your own well-care and setting boundaries. So I think it's a healthy thing, and I think we need to underscore that. At what point, you know, there are a lot of women who enter relationships because, well, they're in love. They think they're in love. It's better than nothing. There's a lot of better yeah. than nothing. Um, they don't think they have any other options. And they put up with behavior that is not appropriate. What is your message to those women? Oh, you're really speaking, preaching to the choir right now. I, I've heard that twice yesterday in session that I don't think I'm going to deserve any better. This is all mm -hmm. there is. This is all I'm going to get. I heard it from a, a high school student. I, I usually don't even see kids in my practice, but a mother that I've been working with asked me to see her daughter and hmm. she's dating a guy who wouldn't speak to her in public, but will go on dates with her on the weekend, but he won't in school. If he sees her in the hallway, won't even give her the time of day. It, it broke my heart. I just thought of the, 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 what this poor girl is going through. And another woman who I spoke to yesterday um, is been seeing a married man. And really says, well, at least he likes my body. Nobody else would, or I'm not worthy of anybody else, or I'm not going to get anyone else. So both of these instances, it's that same message. I'm not going to do any better. This is all I can get. 
and it's really selling yourself short. I'm really surprised about the high school. I mean, she's got a whole future ahead of her. And, it, you know, she's it, beautiful and smart. And it broke my heart yesterday. It just, I felt it on such a core level that you hear somebody who has everything going for her and just not feeling worthy. You know, I would have thought that the example would have been an older woman who was like, I'm middle-aged, I don't have a future, I'll just take whatever comes along. And they often get into unhealthy relationships with people, with uh, men or other women too, that are either abusive or to take advantage of. I'm surprised about the young one, although, you know, adolescents have low, many have low self-worth. And we've talked about that. The mental health situation right now among adolescents is very high. What you're really talking about is self-worth. And the importance of <clears throat> understanding that you are worthy, um, which many and being able don't to feel. walk away, right? Being able to walk away and say, "I deserve better." Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer that it worked too. I mean, in everything. I think the message is you always can do better, but also don't have unreal. But but we also have to be very clear that you have to be realistic because there are some people who think they can always do better, and they give up. They do give up great people. Because they Completely. are never satisfied. So let's talk about that. Because at what point do you also have to have some acceptance for the people in front of you who are amazing that you, you know, you can raise the bar too high on everything as well when you're seeking perfection and flawlessness. Exactly. It's like two sides of the same coin. You right. know, in, in the other instance, it, it's saying, okay, you know, I'm hurt. We, we had a disagreement, I'm walking out, or this life isn't supposed to be like this. It's all supposed to go smoothly and perfectly, like all the relationships I see on Instagram or Facebook, and I, I'm leaving because uh, we're hitting some hard times. And you don't want to leave too quickly. I say don't, you don't want to leave five minutes before the miracle. You don't want to leave before things get better. But to make things get better, it, it's really about saying, I deserve better. And yeah. it's saying, okay, I'm, I'm setting limits. I, I think about a narcissist. I had one in my life who w- would call me at all hours of the night. And, it, you know, this is a person that I did not want to, I did not feel that it was, they were listening to me. Hey, listen, I, I, I need to get a certain amount of sleep. Don't call after uh, 10. And it, this person would call me whenever it was best for her. And it was really difficult. I just turned on the do not disturb button on my phone. To yes, be that, that is <laughs> it's that a handy is button. This was, this was years ago, back when we had a, you know, a regular phone that would just go right through it. But, but, but you're right. That's one way of setting a boundary. It's putting on the do not disturb um, right. button. Yeah, yeah. I'm going through that with, you know, it's also like that, whether it's texts or calls, people, people just badger you. You're not responding. At some point you have to focus. Um, I, I've become a monotasker versus a multitasker yeah. the older I get, and that's perfectly okay. Uh, you can set times. So at what point in the time we have left, what point would you recommend couples counseling and what, 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 what kind of, what is that experience? I've never done couples counseling. I, I do think it's a healthy thing to do. And it's, I think it's a sign of strength to say, maybe we could go to couples counseling to strengthen our relationship and iron out any wrinkles. What, um, what, what, what point do you think it's, it's essential and what would be the experience like? Oh, I, I really, I really, honor the people who come into my office for couples counseling. I think it's about being brave. You're able to 
really look at the wounds and to tr- to trust each other that you're going to mm-hmm. be honest and be vulnerable and make things better. I, I like it a lot because in, in a way it's two people coming together to look at their relationship and think, what can we do to improve it? What kind of boundaries do we need to set? What, what do we need to change? And let, let's look at the painful places and, and try and improve them. Well, I think, you know, I, I, it's interesting. I think, is it, is it the Catholic religion where you actually go in for counseling prior to getting married? Yes. I love pre-cana. That. Is that pre-cana or something? I'm not Catholic, but and I think Judaism, uh, traditional Judaism as well. But I think it's actually a, a good thing to do even before you tie the knot. And then, um, you know, no relationship stays the same from the beginning of the marriage to as it as people change. You know, you can say all you want, but we all know it's not an easy road when you're with a couple for a long period of time. So you may want to revisit counseling at other stages, particularly when you're going through some major changes, right? Definitely. And, and each person grows up in a different family right. and brings a whole different set of beliefs and, um, you know, models on how things are done. So you assume the other person's going to read your mind and know what you want, mm-hmm. but it's really important to, to talk about it and to have a safe place. And with a good couple therapist, it's, it's not about taking sides and who's right and who's wrong, but it's mm-hmm. creating safety so that you can really have a deeper connection. Yeah, I've talked to people uh, who've gone through it and they've said it's really strengthened the relationship or in some cases they realize it wasn't the best relationship. But most say it's been yeah. a strengthening and a bonding um, to have that third party um, in there to, you know, become open and honest. Like I said, I've never done it. I've actually thought about it yeah. at some point. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, life gets in the way in a lot of ways from doing stuff and so far so good. You know, we've yeah. worked out a lot of things, but. I do think it's a strength. So I just want to make sure my listeners know how they can find and follow you. Can you share your website and um, social media? Sure. Mm -hmm. So my book, again, is called No Perfect Love. Exactly. Shattering the Illusion of Flawless Relationships. And it's sold on um, Barnes & Noble. It's sold on Amazon and all local indie bookstores. So you can find it uh, easily by checking online. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a website www.healingrelationshipspa.com, PA PA for Pennsylvania. So that's my own uh, business uh, website. I like Pennsylvania. Do you do um, uh, virtual meetings as well as most of your work in office? You know, I I do virtual. Since Mm -hmm. the pandemic, I've become an expert on Zoom and FaceTime therapy, which I never thought I'd be doing, but... um, it, yeah, I do. So I do some of that and I do some in person. It's kind of a combination in my day. Well, I think that's great. And I think it's important, again, um, that there, the, you know, the idea of a flawless relationship and a perfect love is kind of a myth. There's 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 a great love. Right. Yeah. A fabulous love. But perfection is a myth. You know, nothing's very rarely is anything a perfect 10. If we stop trying to measure up to everything we keep seeing um, that has been photoshopped or edited uh, on social media, you are creating unrealistic expectations. The key is to create realistic expectations and honesty 
uh, between people. And that's, to me, the ideal love is to be open and honest and giving and listening, right? I couldn't agree more. And it's also what happens when you get hurt? What happens when something goes wrong, such as there's an yeah. addiction or if there's a right. child with a problem or if there's a struggle in your relationship? How do you deal? Do you run away or do you do you cope by learning how to communicate and practice forgiveness and really learn from your pain? Yeah. And, and the reality is there will be bumps in the road, several for many, a few for others, but there will be bumps. So the key is to have the best tools to get through yeah. it and a team to help you. You got it. And I, and I often say nobody gets out of a relationship unscathed. Right. I want to thank you. I want to thank you, Dr. Allison Nirenberg. Again, the book is No Perfect Love, Shattering the Illusion of Flawless Relationships. I really enjoyed speaking you, speaking with you on Fearless, Fabulous You, and I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it as well. And to all my listeners, I hope this was helpful, useful, and of course, I encourage you to share this podcast with anyone that you think it could be helpful for. You can listen to any of them anytime, anywhere on iHeart, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And my, as always, my message to you is you have the ability to shape and live life on your terms and never let anyone underestimate your amazing self-worth. Always believe in yourself and believe that you are fearless and fabulous. Thank you. Great message. 